Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing good. Awesome. Are you having a good summer? Have you really had summer in Wisconsin until you've like been out on the water, you've been out on the, the pontoon or tri or tritune boat? Um, well, hey, it's a great privilege to be with you guys. Like Jeff mentioned, my wife and I and uh, a, a team of us, we pastor the Chi Alpha at the University of Wisconsin. Chi Alpha is the college ministry uh, arm of the Assemblies of God. And so we've been down in Madison for about three years. I had somebody ask me, like, how do you live in Madison? Uh, it's a beautiful city. It's a weird city, but it's a beautiful city. Um, and it, it really, it's an honor. It's a privilege to be here. I uh, got to know Jeff back in college. So if you want any blackmail on your campus pastor, I've got lots of it. I've got lots of it. Uh, no photo evidence, so that's good. But uh, anything you want to know, just you can come up and we can chat about it afterwards. And also grateful for uh, many of your other staff members, your pastor Aaron Cole and uh, Life Church. You guys have been a, a massive uh, part of investing in what God's doing in Madison. We wouldn't be able to do or accomplish what we've done without your help. And so if you give to the Greater Fund or any of those initiatives, I just want to say thank you. Uh, you allow me and my family to do what we're passionate to do. And so it's great to be with you. Uh, a few weeks ago, I got to be with the Life Church youth at Spencer Lake Summer Camp. Uh, Life Church youth and then many other youth groups in Wisconsin. There's about 700 uh, junior high and high school students. And so I've been doing that all summer. If you're wondering why uh, my voice is a little scratchy, uh, I'm not an avid smoker. I've been yelling at uh, high school students all week, get out of the woods, get to church. Um, and so... Hey, we're going to hope that my voice sticks around. But there is something uh, amazing and exciting about working, whether it's uh, at summer camp, working with junior high and high school students, or what I get to do working with college students. There's just an energy. There's just a life. There's just like a, a, a passion that that age group has. And I love they're, they're still convinced that they're going to change the world, and, and they want to go and, and, and do amazing things and accomplish amazing things with their life. And so my hope this morning is to encourage all of us to just tap in a little bit to that, maybe that passion that you had in another season of life. I know some, sometimes summer in the Midwest, it's like just those lazy summer days and, and it, it can be lethargic. But man, I hope in the middle of summer, uh, yes, I hope you've had some vacation time. I hope that you've had some, some chance to get away and, and recharge uh, emotionally. But I also hope spiritually that you're getting ready for what God wants to do in your life and through your life. I hope that as a church that you'll get re-energized of what God has called you to do here in this community. And so this morning I've titled, it's only fitting being a college pastor at UW-Madison, I've titled my message, Jump Around. Jump around. And I want to start by reading a passage in Philippians that is probably my favorite passage in the whole Bible. And Paul is writing it and he's writing to a church that he, uh, he helped start in Philippi. And he's writing to people that he knows. Like he knows their names, he knows their stories, and he cares deeply about them. And I would say this is the beauty of everyone in this room is that God knows you, he knows your story, and he's actually excited about your story. Do you know that? That God this morning is actually anticipating and excited about what he's going to do in your life today. And we don't just, as people who follow Jesus, just go through the motions or go through routine, but I hope that you showed up with some expectation that if God's here and I'm here, that he could do something in my life. And that he could help remind me or, or point me once again 
to the passionate calling he has on my life. And so Paul is writing to, to people, and he's writing in chains. He's writing in a very difficult spot. He's bound up. He's in prison. And, and honestly, he, he, as far as he knows, he may be writing his final words to people he loves dearly. And with this in mind, he, he's trying to encourage them and remind them of a few things. And so we're going to read Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. It says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal uh, to, uh, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that. Forgetting what's behind me, I'm pressing on towards what's ahead of me. Let's pray this morning. God, would you open up our hearts, God, for these next few moments, would you open up our lives and, and, and would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? God, whatever, in whatever state we walked into this place, God, would you help us to, to lay down things we need to lay down and walk towards the calling you have on our life? God, we, we pray for this church, that they would walk towards the calling you have for this campus to reach this area. In your name we pray, amen. I want to read you a little poem. It goes like this. Pack it up, pack it in. Let me begin. I came to win. Battle me, that's a sin. I won't ever slack up. Punk, you better back up. Try and play the role, and yo, the whole crew will act up. Get up, stand up, come on, throw your hands up. If you got the feeling, jump across the ceiling. Mugs lift a funk flowing, someone's talking junk. Yo, I bust them in the eye, then I'll take the punk's girlfriend. Feeling funkin'. Amps in the trunk, and I got more rhymes than there's cops at a Dunkin' Donuts shop. Sure enough, I got props from the kids on the hill, plus my mom and my pops. I came to get down. I came to get down. So get out your seat and jump around. Jump around, jump around, jump around. Jump up, jump up, get down. Do you guys know this poem? Do you know this one? I wrote it myself. That's not true. Jump Around. That was Jump Around, the beautiful poem by House of Pain. I just read you the lyrics to one of the University of Wisconsin-Madison's most honored, time-honored traditions, and it is the playing of that song at the end of the third quarter going into the fourth quarter of every home football game. This tradition was started on Saturday, October 10, 1998, at the Badgers' homecoming game against the Purdue Boilermakers. I don't even know why Purdue has a football team. After no offensive points were scored in the third quarter, the Badgers 
uh, marketing agent in charge of sound, piped the song through the loudspeakers. It stirred up fans and players and has become a tradition of the last decade. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, has anyone ever been to uh, Camp Reno for game day? A few hands. If you have not, it is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, uh, and many people even walking in, whether they know a lot about football or know very little about football, know that this moment is going to happen. And it is, it's amazing. It's electric. For a brief moment, 80,000 people lose their mind. I actually can hear this happen every home game. If I open up the windows of my house, I can hear this song being played. For a brief moment, middle-aged men get to relive their glory days. Middle-aged men who have somehow found themselves in the student section. Come on, man, you don't belong there. Small children in adorable tiny little badger jerseys are jumping up and down. Old ladies who can barely walk are attempting to jump up and down. True story. I saw a couple. They were 80 years old. I asked them, and they were holding each other. I don't know that they got off the ground, but they were getting up and down at least. Frats and sororities jump side by side in perfect unison. Band members holding everything from flutes to tubas are jumping up and down. I literally have seen people throwing other people in the air. Freshmen who have never been to a football game are jumping up and down. And foreign exchange students who have no idea what is going on are jumping up and down. Even the other team and other coaches can't help themselves for a minute and a half before the song has inappropriate language. Everybody is aligned for one reason. And there is something amazing when you have a stadium full of people with one united voice for one cause, as loud and as crazy and as carefree as they can get, with all the passion they have aligning, even if it's just for a minute and a half, it's something special. You often see people with their phones out. You often see people like waiting for that first note to hit. And I would say this, it's something that unless you have experienced jump around at Camp Randall, I can't really do it justice. Some of you are like, well, I don't, what is this guy talking about this? Listen, it is one of those things until you have lived that moment being there, I can't give it enough lip service. Uh, have you ever had that with other areas of your life? Like it's like you can't really put it into words or explain it to somebody. You have to be there to really grasp and understand that experience. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Non-parents trying to tell you how to parent. You're like, listen, let's not even have this. You don't even know. You don't even, until you have a kid. Don't talk to me. Um, Man, or, or getting married, there, there's all sorts of things. Until you have actually lived out that experience, you are limited in what you understand about that experience. And I would say this this morning, that if you have ever truly experienced the amazing grace and love of Jesus Christ, yeah, I could talk about it, I could try to paint a picture with, of it with my words, I could tell you stories about it, I could read about it, but until you've experienced the goodness of God, until you've experienced that moment of salvation, and redemption in your life until you've had that moment where all of your past sin and shame has been stripped away from you. I can't hardly explain it well enough for you to truly understand it. And Paul is writing this to people he loves dearly. 
He's saying, man, I, I was there with you. I saw some of your lives become transformed. I saw some of you, how you were and now how you are. I saw some of you dead and now alive. The gospel is very polarizing. It's not a lot of complacent middle. It's like I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was a captive, but now I've been set free. And, and it's not like, man, church is kind of okay. Jesus not a bad guy. No, Paul, I love the way Paul writes because he says, man, I was going this direction and, and, and some of you are headed that direction, but I can't, I'm going to try to explain it, but I've encountered someone who's so much better, who so better fulfills my life, who so better gives me purpose and vision for why I live on this earth. And until you experience my Jesus, I can't hardly tell you how good he is. And I would say this is a great reason to be in church. And I hope for some of us, that I, for some of you, I'll just be able to come and maybe just get you excited about loving Jesus again. And maybe we can build our expectation of what he wants to do in this next season of life. And so I want to ask us three questions this morning. My very first question is, what makes you jump around? What makes you jump around? Do you have something in your life that you care more about than anything else? Not just on paper, not just here's what I know my priority should be, but have you found something in your life that has so captured your heart and your soul and your decision-making and your pocketbook and your future that like it's all you think about, it's all you focus in on, it's all you care about? I hope, I hope, I hope that you find something in your life that gets you to jump around, that just like Camp Randall, when it erupts for a moment, that you wouldn't just have moments of purpose in your life. You wouldn't just have moments of passion, but I pray that you would find a life of passion that is sustained and fulfilled with passion. And I would encourage you to chase that and pursue that. Man, if you think you found it, man, chase it as hard as you want. I'll tell you, I often sit down with kids who are athletes or frats or who are, who are brilliant. And I tell them, I say, man, if you think that thing will sustain you more than Jesus Christ, you chase that as passionately and as aggressively as you can. And I guarantee you what you will find is there will be an ending to it. But when you encounter the grace of Jesus Christ, there is no end to his goodness. There is no end to what he wants to do in and through you. And this is why Paul writes, what makes you jump around? One of my favorite ways to really get to the bottom of this is what would make you get up out of your chair and fight somebody? You really want to know, because right, you, you like ask somebody like, well, I love, oh, obviously God. I go to church once a month, so obviously him. And then my family, and then golf. I love golf. <laughs> you know, like, you're like, 50 bucks to church, 50 bucks for my family, $300 for that new guy. You know, like, like if you really want to know what you love most, what, what gets you to jump around, what you're most passionate about, man, what would you fight somebody over? I remember the day clearly, uh, fourth grade, I'm sitting there, and I was not a small fourth grader, so I don't know what Kyle Wilson was thinking, but I remember sitting there, and Kyle Wilson, in his little glasses, decided to talk about my mom. And I, you know, my dad, my dad actually said, he said, you don't let anyone talk about your family. And uh, I, those, those words stuck with me. I remember Kyle Wilson. I was like, wait, a, are you, are you talking about, are you talking about Don? I know you're not talking about Don Koistra. And he was. And I said, if you keep going, I'm going to fight you at recess. And sure, sure enough, he kept going. And so I walked out to recess and he was on the tire swing. I pulled him off the back. Bah! The silly thing was I did it right in front of the teacher's lounge and I got, uh, thrown out of school. So, hey, there we go. But my, the point being, 
Have you found something in life that will actually move you to action? Have you found something in life that when, when, it's, when you're talking about that topic, social norms, they go out the window? Like what other people expect of you, that takes a lower priority to this thing because you love this thing more than anything else. Have you found something, have you found people and relationships and community and a job, have you found something that ignites your soul? That makes you say, man, I want to think about how I'm doing this thing, and I want to do it better, and I want to stay engaged with it. I never want to become apathetic in it. And this is why Paul writes Philippians 3. He's riding in chains, probably headed to his deathbed, and he says, everything else I pursued in life is garbage in comparison to Christ." I chased success. I chased like, like notoriety. I chased status, and it didn't fulfill me. I chased a whole bunch of things, and it couldn't satisfy the way Jesus could satisfy. And he's writing to people who now have journeyed with Jesus for a little bit, and he's saying, don't forget what Christ has done in your life. Let him be everything to you. Let him be the thing that gets you up out of your chair, that gets you passionate about what Christ is trying to do. In your life, what makes you jump around? Some of you, man, you've been chasing some things. You've walked into this room not really knowing what to expect. Some of you, maybe you've been around church for a while, and, and, and Jesus has been a nice addition to your nice little life, but Jesus is saying, no, like how big I am and how worthy I am, there's not really space for me as a side hobby. I want to be front and center to all you have. And I pray that more than anything else, man, if you think that there's something else that can satisfy your life, I encourage you, chase that thing. Take it to the end. Go all in on it, but don't stay apathetic in the middle. This is, this is what I encourage every college student I encounter. I say, man, you can do a whole lot of things, but don't do nothing. Don't be in the middle. I mean, the Bible actually talks about this. You know, if you're lukewarm, I, I spit you out of my mouth. I mean, the Bible uses strong language. You, you could do a whole lot of things, but let's not be apathetic. And I think we live in a country where sometimes it's easy to be apathetic. And it's easy to just chase the suburban, middle-class life and have Jesus as a side piece and not as the only piece. And so I encourage you, man, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for what life is about, man, I would, man, hop in, all in. I mean, I would go through life track. I would hop in a life group. I would do it all. I'd go on a, on a trip. And I would say this is that it is. It's the only thing in my life that's ever sustained me and satisfied me fully. Second question. I think this is an important question. If you're a believer, this is an important question. What makes heaven jump around? There's actually two times, there's two different ways that it talks about that heaven, it gets up out of its seat, and it gives this language, this imagery of heaven, much like Camp Randall, going crazy, probably for a little bit longer than a minute and a half. There's two things that make heaven jump around. One is the glory and the majesty of God, or the glory and majesty of Jesus. Simultaneously, in Old Testament and New Testament, it talks about different times where heaven erupts at the glory, at the splendor, at the beauty of God. And the second is actually lost people being found. John writes in Revelations, he, he gets a, a, a glimpse into heaven. He gets a, a picture into heaven. I'll be honest, a lot of Revelations, it, it, it can sometimes be puzzling or hard to understand, but the, it gives us some snapshots uh, of heaven and what's going on in, in the spiritual world. 
And Revelations 5 says this, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I mean, picture that. I mean, if you've ever been to Lambo, if you've ever been to a concert, I mean, just close your eyes and picture. I mean, and that's not tens of thousands of thousands. I mean, that's just a few thousand. And, and think about a moment where they're all saying or singing the same thing when, when all of Lambo is yelling, go Paco, right? It's like, man, picture that, but it, it, it's overwhelming. John writes this picture and says it's, over, it's hard to even count or, or fathom how many people are there in all of heaven, like even right now. Although it feels like a, a normal Saturday, a normal lazy July uh, Sunday, it, it, all of heaven right now is saying, worthy is the Lamb. There's no one else like him who was slain. Yeah, he was slain, but he, he's risen to life to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then he goes on because, man, anytime they start repeating things in the Bible, it's because they can't put into words. They're trying to help you experience something that you can only really grasp if you're there. So he writes it again. He says, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb talking about Jesus, that he can see Jesus on the throne, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. He's, he's saying, man, I, I, I'm going to try my best to paint a picture of what's going on. I'm going to try my best to tell you, but right now you may not know it, but all of the heavens are actually jumping around. They're up out of their seat. They're actually down on their knees, laying their crowns down before Jesus and saying, there's never been anyone like him. He's perfect in all of his ways. He holds all of the power. He holds all of the glory. He holds all of the universe in his hands. And, and, and for us, to be honest, it's so disconnected from us that it's hard to even grasp. But right now, there is such a loud sound in heaven because of the glory of God. There's such a loud praise going up. And, and man, to be, we won't be able to fully understand it. You can listen to all the worship you want, whether you like Hillsong or Bethel or Life Church music. It doesn't really matter. It, the best worship moment you've ever had can't even capture the smallest ounce of what's happening in heaven right now. All of heaven is jumping around. All of heaven is excited. All of the heaven, it, 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 it evokes a response out of the heavenly realms, how great Jesus is. I wonder if he'll evoke a response out of us this morning. The second thing that it talks about in the Bible that gets heaven, the heavens, up out of their seats. Jesus is uh, telling a story in Luke 15. He actually tells three sets of stories, uh, a parable of a lost sheep, a parable of a lost coin, and a parable of a lost son. And, and two different times, similar to what is written in Revelations, twice it's written so that you'll, uh, to overemphasize the points so that it will really connect. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Come on, how good is that if you've ever been a repented sinner? 
I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This tells us this morning, man, honestly, even if just one of you says, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, man, I've, I've grown apathetic. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I recognize it that all of heaven can't contain themselves. They will get up out of their chair and rejoice, not because of just what you're doing, but also because of the goodness of Jesus, because there's actually a Savior who can take your past and clean it up and take it away. Redemption and salvation. It's good. I only, I only needed one clap and I got two. So here we go. Luke 15, 10, he goes on. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What gets heaven up out of its seat? What gets heaven Standing, jumping around, going crazy. The glory and the splendor, the majesty of who Jesus is, the greatness of our God, and lost people being found. Man, this morning, we, if for nothing else, you've got two reasons to be excited. You've got two reasons that when this service is over, to get up out of your seat and walk into your world excited and anticipating how Jesus wants to use you. One, because God's good. And he just loves you. And, and, and if you could just feel his goodness, if you allow his Holy Spirit to reveal to you how much you are loved, how much he's all in on you, how much he cares about you. See, here's the thing. Like, he, Jesus is all in on you. And so our only viable response is to be all in on him, is to join in what the heavens are already doing, which is saying, our God is so great. He's amazing. I, I can't even comprehend. I, I can't even, like, put into words. Uh, it's almost like you have to experience it to really understand it. And I pray that, that you would live a life that doesn't just know things about Jesus, but experiences his goodness. I pray that you wouldn't just be somebody who, who kind of hears other people talk about the goodness of Jesus, but never lives in beautiful moments, in beautiful wholeness of relationship, walking in the goodness of God. And the second thing that gets heaven out of its seat is when lost people get found. So, man, if you want to get heaven excited, start bringing somebody with you to church. And every single time you save a seat next to you, every single time you start to pray for your neighbor or your coworker or, or somebody who's going through a hard time, every time that you start to proclaim the goodness of Jesus, all of heaven is going to join with you. Man, sometimes we're like, man, God, I don't know. This person will never get saved. You don't know. And what you also don't know is how much momentum there is going behind you. How much, man, heaven is advocating for that person as well. How much Jesus is trying to use his church, not to just be apathetic, not to just sit in a chair, but to be mobilized for his glory. What gets heaven to jump around? Psalms 139. Love it. It's my favorite psalm. It says this, starting in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. I can't even comprehend it. It's that same theme. I can't, even, I can't even fully grasp how wonderful you are to me. 
Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light Uh, to you. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Man, Jesus is all in on you. Heaven is all in on you. He couldn't be more excited that you're here. Whether you've been walking with him a long time and you just need to be reminded of his vision for your life or whether it's your very first time in this this building. You know what happened when you walked through those doors out there? You thought, man, man, I can't believe I'm going to church in a movie theater. It's actually all of heaven going crazy saying, hey, today's a day that I want to encounter someone that I love dearly, someone that I know inside and out, someone that I love at their best moment and someone that I loved all the way through their worst moment. Somebody that I love their past, but I I can redeem that, but I also am going to redeem their future. Heaven right now. Man, maybe you're like, man, there's some open chairs. They're not. This, This room is full of what God's trying to do in your life. It's full of his goodness. It's full of his power. Man, this is a church that, that, that if you'll go all in on this church, they'll go all in on you. If you, if you hop in a life group, man, you're going to find community. You're going to find people that are going to walk with you. You do growth strike, you start serving. You're going to get to join in and building the, the, the great name of Jesus Christ. The last question for us this morning is, what makes Jesus jump around? So we talked about what makes you excited, and that's great. Kind of. Hopefully. What makes heaven jump around? That gets a little bit more exciting. But if all of heaven is going crazy for Jesus, what gets Jesus up out of his chair? You ever ask that question? Man, what would Jesus, like, what would make Jesus jump around? This is a great question. In Acts, Jesus has has risen from the dead. He's shown himself to his disciples. Then he ascends into heaven. The day of Pentecost happens. 3,000 people get saved. But then the story of the church is that then persecution starts to rise up. And and it gets difficult. So Acts is written similar to what Paul is writing into in Philippians, where now, after the church has been around a little bit, now it's going through a hard moment. And in the middle of this hard moment, there's a man named Stephen. And man, Stephen, he, he is consumed by the glory and the greatness of God. So much so that, that he starts proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is. He starts joining all of heaven and talking about how good Jesus has been. He starts retelling the stories of the miracles and the lives and the teachings of Jesus. So much so that the religious people actually get so frustrated, they take him in and they put him on trial. And in that moment, he doesn't back down. He doesn't shy away. He, he, he doesn't like pull any punches. He stands up and once again, in front of everybody who opposes the gospel, he gets up and proclaims that God loves him, that Jesus is alive, very much alive, that his spirit is alive, that his church is alive. He goes on to tell the story and the narrative of Jesus from the Old Testament to the New Testament, which leads to his wrongful conviction towards ex- execution. And so they take Stephen out and they throw him off a cliff and they're getting ready to stone him in Acts 7. 
And it says this, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. This crowd is losing their mind. They can't believe that he just proclaimed that Jesus is resurrected, that Jesus is still alive. But verse 55 says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now there's a lot of verses that talk about Jesus being seated at the right hand. Even when it talks about the thousands of thousands of angels proclaiming his glory, oftentimes it says we see him seated at the right hand of God. But in this moment, Jesus can't contain himself. It evokes a response. What Stephen is proclaiming, how he is living, it triggers a response from our Savior where he says, I can't just sit in my glory. I've got to stand and cheer him on about what he's doing and what he's proclaiming. The only time it's mentioned that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father is when he sees a life that is so surrendered, so committed to him that it holds nothing back and would follow him unto death. Come on, you want to know uh, or how, know how to be the type of person, know how to be the type of church that would evoke a reaction from Jesus. Oh man, I want to live a life that causes Jesus to respond to how I'm surrendered to him. I want to live a life that, that so pleases him that he can't just sit dignified, but it gets him up out of his chair. Man, I want to be a part of a church. I want to be a part of a move of God that gets Jesus up out of his chair. And he says, I can't stay silent. I've got to jump around. I've got to get excited about what's happening in Madison. I've got to get excited about what's happening in Appleton. Man, this is the invitation this morning. The invitation is to come sit in a nice cushy chair or even like sing nice songs but it's to join in with the only thing we're joining in on and it's the greatness of God man and some of you are like that guy you seem too excited about Jesus I couldn't be excited enough I couldn't sweat it I can't proclaim it loud enough I can't tell you in enough ways that there's only one reason for life there's only one reason to show up and it's the greatness of God there's only one reason to wake up on Monday morning and go into work it's to use your skill set it's to use your relationships and leverage it for the kingdom of God man I want to be somebody that gets Jesus up out of his seat I want to be somebody who joins the heavens and gets down on my knees and lays my crown down and says, Whatever, however many years I have on this world, not my will, not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. Not why will be done, but yours be done. I want to live a life that is so in love with Jesus that it resonates with what Paul writes, that everything else, man, it's, it's, it's not even good. It's garbage in comparison to those beautiful moments I have with Jesus when my day starts to when I walk with him into my workplace, when I walk with him around campus, when I experience his love and his goodness. Would you do this this morning? Would you close your eyes all across this place? Man, how did you walk in here this morning? What was your hope? What was your expectation? Ah, I'm serving this morning. I guess I'll get there. What do we, we gotta be there 15 minutes early? Cutting it close. Is it, man, I, I don't know why, but I'm going to go to this church. I'm not really sure what to expect. Have you been hanging around a little bit? And, and, and man, it's just like, am I in this thing? Am I not in this thing? Does Jesus actually love me? Does he not love me? I think there's two appropriate responses this morning. First is, is you're, man, you're somebody, and you've just been far from Jesus. And you've, you've pursued a lot of things. 
But maybe you've been apathetic towards him. Maybe you've been resistant to him. Maybe you've been far from him. And this morning, man, there's something uh, about the gospel that's coming alive. Like, man, I've never knew that this was something that that takes a life, that takes full commitment. I never knew that this is something to be passionate about. And this morning, there's something tugging on your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus at work in your life trying to say, man, I want to go crazy in your life through you. I I love you. I care about you. That's Jesus trying to, to, to live out Psalms 139, that I know you. I know every hair on your head, and I love you. I know every dark corner of your life, and I love you, and I have purpose for you that's you this morning and you just want to know the goodness of Jesus, you want to experience, man, I I can't tell you, uh, it's one of those things you either know it because you've experienced it or you haven't. And this morning you want to experience the goodness of God in your life. If that's you with every eye closed, would you just raise your hand? We just want to be able to pray for you. Yeah, awesome. Yes. Yep. Awesome. God, we pray for these hands. God, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would touch these lives. God, I pray in this moment that that you would start to transform their lives. God, I pray that this would be a catalytic moment that leads to a life transformed. God, I pray that this moment would extend beyond this moment to a new life. God, I pray that that this church would come around these hands. I, I, I pray that these hands would get committed and plugged in, that they'd go all in, that they'd count everything else as a loss in comparison to this new relationship. Second, if you're in this place, and maybe you've been around church a long time or a short time, but somewhere along the way, you've kind of lost sight of what it's really about. You've kind of lost some of the splendor, some of the glory of who God is. And you've been showing up, but you haven't necessarily been up out of your chair. And this morning, God's just calling you, man, once again, I want you to, I want you to jump around. Once again, I want you to join in with heaven. Once again, I, man, you want to live a life like Stephen that says, man, I'm total surrendered. I'm all in. I want to be used and, and, and mobilized for the kingdom of God. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand so it can pray with you? Yeah, God, we pray for these hands. God, I pray that this would be a center. This would be a church that hope comes out of. This would be a church that transformation happens in, that these would be lives, these would be homes, that, 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 that uh, your Holy Spirit works in and through. God, I pray that, that like Stephen, God, we would, we would never shy down or back down for proclaiming the goodness of who you are. God, that we wouldn't just love you at the top of our list out of priority, but our love for you would evoke action from us, would provoke us to proclaim your goodness, to glorify your name with every moment, with every breath, with every decision we have. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Can you give it up for Pastor Levi and the word he just brought? Come on, put your hands together.